0: You're listening to Monopsony Podcast. I'm your host, Zachary Johnson. Thank you for joining us today. We'll be talking about business, but today's business topic goes off into the weird and wild and fun area of sports. Specifically, I want to make a new sports league. And what would it take to do that? And what kind of sport would it be? All right, that sound means it's time to talk about the episode's beverage. Today's episode is once again from the Tapping Tapir in Malaysia. I'm drinking their hibiscus and lime version, which I adore. Mrs. Monopsony Podcast was nice enough to get me an entire case of such when I got back to Malaysia. And I highly recommend it for all of you. You know, I, I think you all might be a little bit confused when it gets hibiscus, but it tastes kind of like, a, like, like if you get red rooibos tea, but if red rooibos tea was combined with Sprite or with maybe like squirt, which I think is fantastic. All right, to the topic at hand. One of the reasons I thought of thinking about sports and business uh, for this particular episode is I got into an email conversation thread uh, on my fantasy sports, uh, you know, in the league, about whether we had reached, and this is we as an American sense, so I can't speak for the rest of the world, but we as an American sense had reached peak NFL. And it got me thinking about what peak anything really means but what would peak nfl really mean now typically peak would just mean maximization of nfl have we reached it is it behind us is it ahead of us i was i totally got curious and so i started looking into how they would measure peak nfl and one of the ways they measure peak nfl obviously because you think of football as you would a product if you're going for business sense is to understand how many people are Connecting with the product, using the product, putting money into the product. The product, in this case, being professional football. So, in a healthy sense, I've looked into the measurements of the last several years, which, to my delight, there's been a lot of conversations about how football is being measured in its uh, performance, and not on the field, but as a business. And one of those measurements is TV ratings. Not necessarily money, TV ratings. How many people are watching the games, and to no surprise to me, one of the things that I found out, and I have some stats here that I can kind of like pull up. So now here's some of this data. This is, a, this is from uh, a couple of Deadspin articles and some other sources that I actually appreciate from Nielsen. So one thing to consider here. Over the same course of time over the last three years, we would see, have seen NFL ratings drop. And they've dropped approximately 8%, 7%, and 15% over the last three years is that NBC, 19% down, Fox, 8% down, CBS, down, 19%, ABC, down, 15%, CW, down, 15%, TBS, down, 11%, Disney Channel, down, 24%, Spike TV, down, 24%. Everything in the world of television ratings is down. Now, that's partially a question of how the Nielsen measurements are measuring it, but also, it's an understanding that actually, in accordance with everyone else going down, broadcast networks lost 16 percent of their viewers in 2017, cable networks lost 11. The NFL only lost nine percent. So in reality, the percentage share that is being taken up of broadcast television viewers by the NFL has actually gone up over the last several years. More people who are watching television are watching the NFL than anything else so is the nfl down have we reached peak nfl that's unclear it's possible we reached peak television but not necessarily peak nfl so you have to think of it this way if the nfl was in fact still growing as an audience we would expect that its share of the percentage of television would be going up which it is kind of okay it's losing less than everyone else but if the entire format of television is being challenged, that depresses the NFL's numbers. So how else could we measure if it isn't necessarily by sports? So yes, NFL ratings are down, but all television ratings were down, of which NFL ratings are actually down basically the least. What else could we measure? Well, thankful to me – now, let's be clear, I am not a Green Bay Packers fan. I hate the Green Bay Packers, but I love that the Green Bay Packers are owned by the community. And one of the things that becomes out of that that their own community owned is the fact that the Packers have to release a financial statement every year, which is fascinating because none of the other teams that are privately owned have to release a financial statement. But the Green Bay Packers financial statement has to be public. And guess what? I found it. I went and found out and looked at what's actually happening within the Green Bay Packers. Now, the Green Bay Packers are reporting that actually... Revenues are consistently up. They're up approximately five percent over last year, which was approximately six percent over the year before. They've taken or eight point one billion of the league's overall revenue, uh, which was estimated at fourteen point one. And by twenty twenty seven, they they would like to see the league reach twenty seven billion dollars. Now, that's an interesting point because if it's peak NFL, why would they still be making? Gaining revenues, we would think of this to be like a mature market, right? As the market becomes saturated, we end up with stable revenues. As we proceed into a dying league, versus growth revenues. Yet we're still seeing growth revenues here from the from the NFL, or specifically from the Green Bay Packers. And that's interesting to me to say that maybe it isn't the case that we've actually reached peak NFL. Perhaps it is the case of peak TV because TV itself is actually losing market share in key demographics, but it isn't the NFL that's losing its, its its mojo in terms of people wanting to be there. It's just the question of who's watching television that's being the measurement. On the other hand, one has to think about that the, the, the actual product is football, and the quality of the football makes albeit some difference to the state of affairs of the watchability and, you know, profitability. How would we think about measuring whether the actual game itself is, is working for, you know, viewers to want to watch? It's a product people want. Well, obviously people are watching it, but is it the change in the people who are watching it that matters? Or, on the other hand, football itself has a, a, a product, and the product is the players themselves. Well, are the players that are coming up as quality as would be required? If fewer athletes choose to be in the NFL, albeit maybe the quality of the play suffers because the highest quality athletes go to some other league. Is the NFL losing quality athletes to other sports? Well, that's unclear. I don't have any data on this. We could guesstimate and we could ask and say, if you were a D1 athlete – and you had NFL skills, would you want to play in the NFL? Some people say that we can clearly see that, yes, young people still want to play in the NFL. Others can say, no, we're looking at more players who are actually leaving the NFL early because of injury records and leaving in a time when there's money left on the table, making the game have less viable stars. All of these could be true. I just think it's important that we measure and say that the players themselves have a vote in how they choose to present themselves as athletes in what, in what format, basically. Not necessarily in what you know, format of television or live streaming or audio recordings or anything like that, but they do have a choice in terms of which sport they choose to play. I also want to think about the one final aspect before we move on to a different topic here is that it's a question of kind of density. So less people watching more NFL more often and spending more money is greater than more people watching less NFL and spending the equal same amounts of money. Basically saying that if there are hardcore fans that they want to attract and those are the profitable issues, then it doesn't really matter so much the actual amount of fans that are showing up for the NFL or watching the games in total of our population. What matters is that it reached the core demographic of people who want nothing but NFL five days a week. So when you can give them more bursts of NFL, they like it more often. You might find that some parts of the demographics of people who want to watch the NFL only want to watch on Sundays or want to watch only on Mondays. But consider that you would actually think about the most profitable people would be the ones who watch Monday, Sunday, all the games on Sunday, Sunday night, Thursday all those games and maybe they're online about them and they're hardcore those hardcore users are actually more valuable than having a large chunk of a population of the united states or anywhere else uh you know watching the games and not spending any money on the franchises sure they're gonna make money on the television rights but is it the kind of population they care about so much now why do i bring all this up sure it's interesting especially for you guys who might not live in the united states it's super interesting Or not, you know I can't speak for you guys, but I bring it up because I read an article today that blew my mind, and that's why I brought this whole thing in here. All right, I have to tell this story, and you know that's not even my story to tell. But people will remember this. I want to tell a story about the XFL, and I talk this because, if the NFL were still at peak, in any market that's actually you know growing, you would expect. Competitors. You would expect competitors to enter the market, and the NFL has maintained a long dominance of actually being one entity only for organized football. Sure, there are those little tiny leagues, but they amount to basically nothing. The XFL, and this was said by Vince McMahon, owner of the WWE, and like maybe two weeks ago, he wants to bring the XFL back by 2020. He thinks that there is still room in the growing market of football in the United States market for an entirely separate league. And this is the case that he did so once before. Now, some of you will remember, some of you don't. But back in 2001, there was a, second, there was a first attempt at creating a counter-NFL league. It was called the XFL. And the XFL was positioned to be an NFL when there was not NFL, or a, in their words, a more grittier, more violent, more in-your-face, more free reigning, free-wheeling game. Because, you know, at that time, maybe uh, hit players or even viewers wanted more action. They wanted violenter hits. They wanted more takedowns and tackles, and they wanted it to be more gritty. And that was the thought process behind the XFL. The XFL allowed players, in a way that was kind of like professional wrestling, to you know, have rivalries that were fake on television, to interrogate heat, to bring in fake storylines, all kinds of stuff that was happening to try to create drama for the game. In addition to that the players were encouraged, or at least the rules were laxed on certain things like you know, uh, illegal use of hands and all kinds of fouls that would take place in the NFL. It was a rougher league. And so this league was set up to go on the counterpoint, so in the other time off-season of the NFL. So basically the NFL runs from, say, August through February, and this league ran from March until June. Um, the first season was all there was. There was only one season of the XFL, and it went spectacularly poorly. Uh, for the first episode or two, we got a lot of viewers, and then they didn't get a lot of viewers uh, you know, going forward. And they had one season, and that was that. But the interesting part was that it was backed by not only WWE, WWF, Vince McMahon, it was backed by NBC. NBC owned a share or a large per share of this venture to try to have a secondary NFL. They also thought back in 2001 that the NFL was a growth market worth having a competing league with the NFL. Now, as product development goes, this is very exciting to me, even though I think it's a terrible idea to have a more violent NFL – and I don't want to watch it, but there is a segment of the people at the time who did think that the NFL was pansy, and therefore wanted to see an NFL that was, in fact, more violent. My favorite stipulation of this is that in order to make it appear like it was more hardcore, the XFL got rid of the the coin toss at the beginning of the game. So at the, the beginning of an NFL game, they flip a coin and the visiting team calls, and if they win the call, they can decide if they want the ball or to play defense, and then the other team decides which side they want to defend or play offense from. It's a pretty standard way to start a game, it's just an equal coin toss. The XFL did away with that. The XFL actually had two players sprint from opposite end zones head at each other to try to see who could battle for the ball at the beginning of the game. Needless to say, actually in the very first televised episode of this, Both players were injured. One so was injured long enough for the entire season. And then they never really battled for the ball much after the first weekend uh, because it turned out the battle for the ball was exceptionally dangerous and people hurt themselves. Well, if you were looking for a more, you know, beefed-up NFL, there it was. People got hurt. To add a little color, I also remember that one of the innovations the XFL added was the idea to put your own... Uh, Vanity plate or vanity name on your jersey. So it didn't have to say your name. It didn't have to say your number And I remember specifically there was one player who just decided that he would write on the back of his jersey. He hate me Um, So if any of you he hate me fans out there, this is what I'm talking about. He hate me Uh, You know, it's interesting though I think that you would allow the players to be more colorful in that way as a product innovation to say we want the players to be more enthusiastic versus, you know, automatons for their teams now, the real question for me is after the spectacular failure of the XFL, why 17 years later, when we're discussing is it possible that it's peak NFL, when the market is clearly maybe saturated or not, we could still be a growth market, as we said, the metrics are kind of in between, why would Vince McMahon think that there is an opportunity, or why would anyone think that there's an opportunity for an alternate league again? Now, this time, the XFL has positioned itself differently. It's not—apparently, according to the announcement, it's not going to be aligned with WWE and not going to use any of the f- false narratives or any of the wild, you know, WWF-style uh, uh, storylines. But it's going to—and this is their wording here— aim to create a league with fewer f- off-field controversies and faster, simpler played play compared to the NFL. Okay, well— Is there a segment of the viewing public that wants fewer off-field controversies for the NFL? Or they think that the pace of play of the NFL is, in fact, too slow? Or the pace of play or the the actual play of the NFL is too complicated? I'm not sure, but it is a different way to position the league. So obviously the rules will reflect whatever vision that Vince McMahon has to differentiate his product from the NFL. Now, this may be a way to consider that he may be trying to actually poach players who want to play in the XFL because it will allow them to – we've had a lot of controversy, or I wouldn't say it's controversy because controversy is what they want to call it so that you actually watch and things like that. There has been a lot of ballyhoo about players kneeling for the national anthem, which I think is ridiculous. They should let them kneel. That's fine. have a political statement all about all I like kneel away fellas protest i'm in the xfl will probably encourage that just to be different from the nfl now will it have off-field controversy maybe maybe not but they're trying to say that they want fewer off-field controversies but they would also like players to express themselves to be more of heroes to be themselves on the field which would hopefully sell more are there players who'd be willing to play in the xfl but not in the nfl over the current again ballyhoo maybe this could be a way to actually poach and have a, a number of players leave the league as defectors uh, and try to have the product performance that they want so one thing to consider is with a new with a new league here is that basically 100% of the talent that is available in the NFL is all the talent isn't all the talent there is but you have to be pretty good at, at identifying talent that isn't in the NFL currently play for your teams because the original XFL had a number of players that were not physically fit or couldn't make the NFL basically. In this case they would try to have players who could make the NFL but chose not to. That's kind of like I'm not sure what makes the tipping point for players to, uh, to leave the safety of the NFL and its contracts. Sorry about that. I've been having some, well, there's some children yelling in the hall of the place where I'm recording, and that just makes its way in. I will attempt to, you know, figure that out in the future, but children yell. I really think the question for me here is, is there actually a sizable group that doesn't think the NFL is is fitting the bill, and for what reasons? Asking myself, and I'm a poor judge, but if I just ask myself to think of some reasons why I would want to watch a different NFL, and what would entice me to do it? I would watch because it either has more safety and not necessarily fewer off-field controversies, to be honest. I'd like it to have more controversies that maybe align with how I want players to to behave. So radical things would come to mind, but you could do this in a, in a different league and see or make a different league in the NFL and see if you actually attracted a number of players. What about things like these players don't play with pads? Yes— if they played as they currently do without pads, there'd be more injuries. But if you played without pads you, and changed your behavior as a result, you could have fewer injuries because you're not launching yourself like a missile, because you're not wearing pads. The pads in some ways might add to the injury rate. I don't know, but we could certainly give it a try to have a league where you don't wear pads. It'd be more like rugby. Consider an NFL, but where you don't have a national anthem. Why do we have to have a national anthem? The NFL says we have one. But what if you had a, a, just a rock concert to start your show and no national anthem? Fine with me, whatever the player play may be. You can make a lot of changes to the rulebook, specifically to try to target the audience that you would want to try to actually have enough people or players want to play in your league. If enough players want to play in the league to make it viable, that's one way. If enough people want to watch the league, that's another way. We're making a new platform here, and that's what it is. We're talking about uh, is there enough room in a growing market of, quote-unquote, football for two platforms. Now, this took me down the rabbit hole, and I started thinking about all kinds of ways that I would want to change other sports for the purposes of product innovation. And, and Basically, I'd, rather ex- I'd like to experiment. Sports are an amazing way to see if I write the rules of a given sport how will people play to the extremes? Well, my mind went down the rabbit hole, so here were some of the things that I thought about. Is there room for a second NBA in the United States i've been watching the NBA, and i 've noticed, and this isn 't you know entirely true, but they 're all very, very tall. Now, this is a thing to say you know like short guys can't play basketball. they totally can. but there isn't a lot of room in the N- NBA for short guys to play basketball, as, as uh, Alan Iverson once called himself the greatest pound-for-pound pound player in the NBA, what if he was right? What if we made a league where you had to be under six foot to play? Would Allen Iverson have been the Michael Jordan of the under six foot league? I mean, remember how tall Allen Iverson was. But is there a room for small guys to play in a league? And, and would I wanna watch you know shorter people play basketball? I might. Shorter people playing basketball might involve more passes. Less dunking, more shots, faster plays, different defenses because there's, they're just shorter people. There's more space in the league. I also considered that, you know, the rules for basketball, give or take, the dimensions of the court and some other things, were developed in around 1900. In 1900, the, 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 uh, you know, the prospect of a national league didn't exist. But also, it just wasn't the case that people would train their lives to play basketball according to the rules that were given. Why is the hoop at 10 feet? What if it was at 12? What if it was at 14? What if it was at eight? Would that make a difference for how much we want to watch the feet, the court? What if we only had four people on the court? Now, obviously to me on this one, I might right away said the NBA Players Association would immediately call murder on the idea of eliminating 20% of their workforce, which I think is a completely legitimate position from their own. But I think I might like watching four-on-four basketball more than I like watching five-on-five. Is it possible that a future here wherein we have access to all kinds of devices, formats, channels, leagues, divisions, that we will have the option to watch basketball in whatever format best suits us? Is it four-on-four? Is it 100-feet courts? Is it a four-point line? Is it a three-point line? Is it no three-point line? What kind of basketball do you want to watch? And how will that affect you know what league would be out there? Now, I don't bring up the dimensions of the court in basketball or the dimen- you know, you know, how high the hoop is idly. I actually thought about it in this way. Give or take basketball was invented in 1891. So let's, let's be nice about it and say the nine years of fiddling around 1900 as they settled on some, some of the rules b- before the original 13. If you were born in 1880 and you were 20 years old so a good peak height for playing basketball the average male was a give or take five foot five five foot five 167 centimeters if you're that size and everyone else on your team is give or take that size to some degree then you will fit on the Court according to what the originators thought. The originators said a person is pretty average and they're gonna have heights to make sure that you can play in enough space to be able to not foul people, to be able to move, to be able to dribble, to be able to shoot, to be able, you know, to have all that kind of thing. Perfectly understandable. But our average height has gone up and I have to think about it that the selection of players to play in the NBA does not take from the, you know, average end of the the gene pool in terms of height. They are taken from the high end as such as, as such as that you have to think of that in the United States, if you are over seven feet tall, there's like a one in seven chance you play in the NBA. That's not an actual – that's an actual stat. So consider the fact that just being tall is an immediate factor to playing the NBA. You know, it's not that these people are bad people or thinking, but they are uh, the, the far, far, far end Six Sigma out there of people who are that tall. Averagely, we are much shorter. I don't actually have a lot in common with people that size, I mean I do have a lot in common with people that size, they like the same things I do, they eat the same foods that I do, but when I think about what they can do and what I can do on the NBA court, it's not the same. Is it possible that I might empathize better with a league that was more in, in, in size with myself? Maybe, one can know, but it's just an interesting thought about what, what kind of innovations might challenge the NBA. All right, now for myself, I don't actually play football, and I don't play basketball, at least not very well. What I do play is Ultimate. And, you know, there is a new, well, newer league uh, that's been coming out called the AUDL, the American Ultimate Disc League. And I've been curious to see what, you know, differences they've put forward from the rulebook of Ultimate to American Ultimate Disc League rulebook. And you have to look at those as a purpose of product Innovation. What are the things they wanted in the rules? What are the things they took out? So, going back to when Ultimate started. Ultimate started in the '60s, early '70s. Uh, you know, as an understanding of that players would show up in the park with their friends of varying levels and varying heights and speeds, and their other friends would show up, and they'd all have a good spirited game, governed by the rules of spirit of the game, so they could work out all their differences. As in common and in good fun. This makes for a wonderful player-based sport for the players. Players can work out what the issues were on the field amongst themselves. I love it. It's one of the things that I think makes Ultimate very very special. On the other hand, this format isn't necessarily a good thing to watch on television. Now I was watching the World Ultimate Club Championships this weekend in Cincinnati. And I appreciate they're trying to use the drone and they have a bunch of different camera angles going on now. But we do have to contend with the fact that under the current rules, Ultimate has quite a few starts and stops that are not necessarily visible to the viewer. The viewer can't understand why there was a start, why there was a stop, why something that was a foul clearly on tape to them isn't being called as a foul on the field. All those things that are worked out on the field and is lovely for the players is not necessarily lovely for the fans. And for the viewing public there, that means that there can be a lot of slowdowns and a lot of stoppage of the action and a lot of things that don't quite make sense. So you can bet that the AUDL, if you were thinking the logic here, has referees. They have referees to enforce the rules as seen by the, you know, uh, unbiased ref so that they can keep the pace of play going faster and also eliminate any of the downtime where you know, viewers might be confused as to what's going on or why certain things aren't happening the way they should because of consensus. It just eliminates a lot of uncertainty. You also have that you know, the rules made up said for varying players of varying degrees of people and friends showing up at a given time and playing with other people and friends for good spirits. That makes for a little less of a competitive edge. Not necessarily that it isn't competitive, but just for that little bit of a, a spirit play, where you're all saying we're all just playing for fun, and you're not playing to be seen. Well, the AUDL has, you know, in its conception, an idea there will be fans, and these fans want to see their team win, and that helps with the ref being there. But it also is is a contentious point of saying that this the rule book is there for. Players that have an understanding of all the skills, speed, dexterity, everything that would understand, understand high-level athletes. So the ultimate rulebook, give or take, covers one-size-fit-all. The AUDL rulebook isn't a one-size-fits-all for low-grade low players or people who are slower or, you know, it isn't meant for beginners. It's meant for advanced players, and that's how the rulebooks work. So instead of 10 seconds before you have to give the disc up, they have seven. It just makes the game go faster. Now, don't get me wrong, this means I still actually watch the AUDL from time to time, but I'm aware of that it's a product meant for someone like me, but also not for me. It's kind of meant for people who don't know what the sport is to get into it. It's meant for players who are younger that want to see highlight reels. Highlight reels seems to be the issue that the AUDL is really going after. I've even seen some promotional material that talk about most highlight-worthy moments per, per minute per sport. Which is, you know, fundamentally cool. They're gonna see some cool people do some cool stuff. That's great. But to my own knowledge, and this is, you know, me saying I'm not necessarily the target market, even though I love Ultimate, is that when I was actually the color commentator for an Ultimate Frisbee game, maybe like three months ago, I started doing all my color comment on what I think I love about Ultimate, which is, you know, cuts from people that are away from the disc, and did you see that footwork, and all, all this other stuff? Did you see their hand grips? Did you see them make that fake? All these other plays. And it was not necessarily what the fan audience wanted to hear from me in terms of color. They all went, wow, that's really nerdy, Zach. But yeah, you need to focus on what's cool about the game. And I said, this is what's cool about the game. And they said, "Hmm, not so much. So for me, I'm probably an outlier. And you know, the tactics that have been used to create the new product of the AUDL might be working. In fact, are working, I know this, because people are going out to see the Minnesota windchill, Shout out to Bueno, who's just, you know, the, still doing the, uh, the color commentary and the announcing for the windchill. The sport is becoming more popular, especially for younger people, and for younger people to get more into ultimate frisbee, which I'm entirely pro. You know Whether the league is meant for me and whether I actually can you know, be a big enough man and deal with it, that's an entirely different issue that they shouldn't have to care about. But it is interesting to think about that the, the league itself is created for a certain purpose there. What kind of formats would benefit the AUDL? Is it live streaming on, online to get the most viewers? Are they ready for television? Are they ready for primetime television? If so, primetime television, how would they incre- increment or implement what the NFL does in terms of its production quality? Right now, I think we're kind of in a nascent stage of the AUDL, but what could be coming in the future to give it the package and the product you know, innovations to really connect with its growing audience? All right, that clip means we've come to the end of the episode. I'm so glad you all joined me for my, you know, rant and discussion about product innovation and product tactics in sports. I hope you all keep an eye out for what might be going on. Uh, You can always check the the Packers' financial records apparently every year they have to release them, which I probably will because I'm a huge nerd. As uh, I brought up before, I'm drinking, you know, tapping Taper. Uh, so, you can find Tapping Taper at tappingtaper.com. You can, of course, email me at uh, monopsonypodcast at gmail.com or reach out on Twitter uh, at onebuyerpodcast. I always look forward to comments and feedback, and I'll see you guys next episode. Greetings out there to my loyal listeners. Thank you for you know messaging me while uh, I've been away. But I'm back, and I'm excited to get on this new episode and coming episodes of Monopsony Podcast. I'm sitting here today with my uh, strawberry sensations, Ahmad tea, And really, I just brought this up, uh, this, art, this up today because I read an article and my business mind works in funny ways and I wanted to share with you what I've been reading and get your thoughts about what else we could think of that might be a solution or might be a business outcome or just might be something we can do in practice to either solve this or work with it. We're going to find out. Today, we're talking about the business of... Death and Graveyard.